This episode of Dear Hank and John is brought to you by Blue Land. Did you know that uh, about 5 billion, billion? That's a de- I checked that because that's a lot. Plastic hand soap and cleaning bottles are thrown away every year. And if that's not bad enough, most cleaning formulas are 90% water, which is heavy. We're shipping around all this water using fuel when we don't have to. Every year, Americans throw away 25% more trash from Thanksgiving to New Year. This year, maybe turn the New Year's resolution into action that makes a difference by switching to Blue Land. Blue Land is on a mission to eliminate single-use plastic by reinventing cleaning essentials to be better for you and the planet with the same powerful clean you're used to. It's a simple idea. They have refillable cleaning products. They have a nice design. I have them in my home. It looks nice on your counter. You fill the reusable bottles with water, drop in the Blue Land tablets, wait for them to dissolve, and you never have to grab bulky, heavy cleaning supplies on your grocery run ever again. And refills, because they're small and you don't have to ship a bunch of water across the country, starts at just $2.25. You can even set up a subscription or buy in bulk for additional savings. From cleaning sprays to hand soap, toilet bowl cleaner, and laundry tablets, Laundry tablets, everybody, you know what I mean. All Blue Land products are made with clean ingredients that you can feel good about. Blue Land is trusted in over a million homes, including, yeah, mine. Blue Land has a special offer for listeners right now. You can get 15% off your first order by going to blueland.com slash dearhank. You won't want to miss it. Blueland.com slash dearhank for 15% off. Again, blueland.com slash dearhank to get 15% off. Hello and welcome to Dear Hank and John. Or as I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. It's a comedy podcast where two brothers answer your questions, give you news advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon on New Year's Eve. John. We're one year closer to this podcast being renamed Dear John and Hank when humans don't get to Mars by 2028. John, you know, I'm not a real big fan of New Year's resolutions myself. Yeah. I always feel like they're just like, uh, they're like, in one year and out the other. I mean, that that one doesn't work for me. Do you know that 2019 (laughs) is the International Year of the Periodic Table of Chemical Elements, according to the United Nations General Assembly? That seems like something they shouldn't have voted on. Uh, Yeah, it seems like we didn't necessarily need that. I mean, I'm, I'm a fan. It's a great table. It's one of the best ones. But like a whole year? It's definitely the best periodic table, you know, because other periodic tables that are there sometimes and not there other times, they're just a bummer. Yeah. uh, Are there other periodic tables, John? So there's the periodic table of the elements. Yeah. Is there a periodic table of like... I've got a periodic table in my house. Like sometimes it's there, sometimes it's not. I have no idea what's causing it. That's a dad Uh, joke, Hank. That is a proper dad joke. You're welcome. That's good. I'm there. I'm on board. Well done. I'm so glad that we're we're all loving the dad jokes together. Uh, you're on. You're in my team now, right? That happened. No, but do you want to know some good news? Yeah, of course I do. It's the best news of the whole year, Hank. I have such high quality good news for you. Are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. 2018 is almost over. <laughs> it's it's arbitrary though, John. It's gonna keep being a mess. I mean, no, this, we did it, Hank. We made it to the end of 2018. When I saying at we the did. beginning of this year, I'm going to make it through this year if it kills me. I made it through the year and it didn't even kill me. 
And now I've got to sing it again going into next right. year. Yeah. So this, oh. the thing is, so we're recording this podcast a couple weeks early because it's Christmas break. And I am legitimately like not 100% that like something very big hasn't happened in the interim. Some, like, it's oh, just, yeah. We should say that in case it seems like we're like referencing news that we don't know about yet. As yep. we are recording this, it's 1.09 p.m. <laughs> Eastern on December 21st. So if anything happened at like 2.45, like we didn't know. We just didn't know. We didn't know about that. Um, we don't know what's going on. We're cautiously optimistic. We are, uh, we mm. are uh, laughing in spite of it all. We are funny mad in the way of 2018. Uh, and we, we do not know what has occurred in, in the interim. Are you really worried that something's going to happen in the next 10 days that's going to be so dramatic that we're going to look like idiots not for talking about it on our podcast? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. (laughs) 100%. I'm not saying it's good. I'm not saying it's bad. But dramatic is the correct term for what I am afraid will have happened in the next 10 days. What's the best thing that could happen in the next 10 days that everyone would be like, I can't believe that Hank and John didn't discuss that amazingly positive news? Aliens! That would be hilarious if we missed first contact <laughs> because we were just trying yeah. to take 10 days off so that we could spend time with our families. Yeah, but like good aliens, of course, is what I mean. Like aliens and they're like, hey, we've been, we're, we're, we've been watching. You guys are doing okay, but I think mm-hmm. you could do better. Here's cures for cancer and also be mm-hmm. nice to each other. Right. Here, here's how you treat malaria more effectively. And also up here in our spaceship, we built a better Facebook. <laughs> it's like it's like Facebook, but like uh, it does not encourage the same negative behaviors. Yeah. Yeah. There's no extremification of search results. We fixed everything. Don't worry. Just uh, just download this new Facebook. Yeah. Aliens with us. new Facebook. We're aliens. <laughs> I think that's, that's uh, my best case scenario for the next 10 days. <laughs> <laughs> Hank, are you making any New Year's resolutions this year? Like seriously, uh, no dad jokes. Uh, yeah. I'm thinking like just 1080p. Same, same as usual. <laughs> Sorry. Mm. <laughs> All right, we're moving on to questions from our listeners. <laughs> no, I, I do, I am. I, I think I'm gonna go. I'm gonna do a month vegetarian to start the year, and this is something that I've always wanted to do, and always felt like I just am such a jerk for not doing, and so I'm gonna try it out, John. Well, I have dramatically decreased the amount of meat I eat, but not yet decreased it to nil. Yeah, but I agree with you that it's a good thing to do, and I would like to do it. That would be a good resolution for me in the new year. My main resolution in the new year is not to get so overworked that I find myself staring into the middle distance with a single tear coming down <laughs> out of my left eye. Hey, we'll gotta, see how that goes. You got to listen to Less Cure, John. Jeez, you're such an emo business owner. All right. Our first question, we're moving on to questions from our listeners. And our first question comes from Abby, who writes, Dear John and Hank, how do I teach a class I know almost nothing about? Oh, Abby, for once you've come to the right place. I'm a graduate student, and the main way I pay for my tuition and such is through teaching different labs in my department. I was recently assigned to teach an animal diversity lab. Oof. I majored in forensic science, and ah. my knowledge is minimal when it comes to animal diversity. While there are tools to help me, I want to be a good teacher. What do I do? Can I self-teach myself somehow? Sincerely, not dear, Abby. 
You got a, you got a lot of textbook reading ahead of you. I tell you that. We uh, a little bit of textbook reading ahead of you, Hank. You only have to stay one day ahead of your students. <laughs> yeah, but you have to you have to stay. So here's the thing with teaching: is you have to know what you're teaching, and then you have to know like a bunch outside of that for context that's probably not going to come up, but might. And that that is that is work, and that is hard. And but also like the thing with teaching is like to be able to commiserate with your students and understand that like. Like, like there is some value in being relatively new to a subject because it allows you to have a greater understanding of how hard it was for you to get that information and, and what that process was like for you. And, and also what parts of it are really exciting. Right. You know, like yeah, also that you can feel the magic of learning a little bit more. And so hopefully you'll be able to pick and choose the things from the world of animal diversity, which admittedly is not my specialty either, <laughs> but that's not going to stop me from waxing poetic about it. The other thing, Abby, is that 99% uh, of life is confidence. Oh, yeah. Well, it's hard to be confident when you don't know anything about animal diversity, John. Really, Hank? Y you are saying that it's hard to be confident when you don't know a lot about a subject? <laughs> I have a lot. I have a lot of experience seeming confident. It's uh, it's it's important. That is indeed. Like, if I were going to list my skills on like LinkedIn, <laughs> do you list your skills on LinkedIn? I've never been on the site. But if I were to list my skills on LinkedIn, number one would be like able to state declarative sentences in a way that makes them seem declarative. Yeah, now that's I, I. I'm gonna go on your LinkedIn. Maybe I'll just make one for you, and then I'll leave a, a, a review. They have, like, this review system on LinkedIn where people, like, oh. like tell, tell people how great you are at something. And I'll just, yeah, that's, yeah. that's what the skill that I, will, uh, that I will highlight of yours. And you can then come and, come and give me that for me as well. I do have a LinkedIn. Rosiana set it up for me, and it's the only social network I can now access. Okay, good. But I still, I still don't want to. John, I just went to my LinkedIn and I have not received a recommendation since 2008. So if anyone would like to recommend me at anything in particular, that'd be great. I'm starting to feel like I, ha I haven't accomplished much in the last 10 years. All right, let's move on to our next question. Abby, good luck in the world of animal diversity. This next question comes from Hitch, who writes, Dear John and Hank, how would our world change if humans had tails? Oh, well, pants would be different. Vastly different. They'd have a hole in the back. <laughs> that's all I got. I think that's it. Wouldn't that be the main change? I think that's the main change. Um, what kind of tail, though? Like, is it a little tail? It depends on the quality of the tail, right? Tail? Is it like, can I hang from a tree from this tail? Right. Because if, if you could hang from a tree, arguably, we never would have come down from the trees in the first place. Maybe. Uh, also, if, if we referred to people's butts as tails like we do now, we would stop doing that. Right. Yeah. You wouldn't be like, oh, boy, he's got a great tail unless it was actually his tail. The tail. Yeah. But <laughs> there would be great tails, right? Like, so people would be oh, like, yeah. oh, man, that tail. Yeah, totally. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Have you seen the tail on that one? The, the actual tail. The tail. I wonder what would be the desirable tail traits. Like, boy, right. does that thing wrap around a tree limb quickly. Boy, it sure is smooth. That's a smooth yeah. one. Yeah. Oh, there's no zits on that tail. I bet I bet we'd have like uh I bet we'd have more words for tails. So like the way right. that like you have like you can like have stubby fingers or mm -hmm. like long like we'd have like 
like you could describe the tip of the tail in a certain way. Like, oh, that right. one's got a real round nubbin. Mm-hmm. Ugh. It is weird to me that, that we spend so much time as humans talking about extremely small differences in anatomy. Yep, yep. Like the idea of like stubby fingers versus long fingers. Mm-hmm. Very, very if small. If I looked at... If I looked at, like, all the monkeys in the world, I would not be able to differentiate <laughs> among their fingers. Yeah. Yeah, like, we got, like, words for, like, when your ankle isn't ankly enough, you know? So we'd have that for right. tails. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what they'd be, but we would have right. them. And also, like, I don't right. know. But nobody, like, nobody ever, nobody ever says, like, about one giraffe but not another. Like, oh, man, that, that one has very prominent knees. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I do feel that they have prominent knees. I guess they need them for but, all the weight. Oh, God. You just did it by accident. I just accidental dad joked. It's true. I did. I did. It's was true. it by accident it or was, did you do that on purpose? Was, Tell me the truth. It was an accident. It was an honest accident. Um, I I'm, I wish it wasn't. Uh, but Ugh. do you think there would be like tail subreddits like for tail care? Yeah, Hank, there already are tail subreddits. Don't worry. <laughs> Okay, well, how uh, moving on? Uh, are we? D- I think I think we hit every single difference that there would be. Otherwise, it would be precisely the same. This next question comes from Travis, who asks, "Dear Hank and John, I believe that in all but one of your podcasts, you have said that the music is by the great Gunnarola. That one time you said that it was by Gunnarola. I have to know." Is great part of the name, or are you describing the talent of said Gunnarola? Is Gunnarola a person or a band? Jane Austen's most famous book, Travis. Wait, what? <laughs> Pride and Prejudice? <laughs> Is that how we pronounce Travis? Do uh, we pronounce it like... Oh, it's P and P. It's P and P. Oh, P and P. Pumpkins of God. Uh, you, thanks for figuring that out, John. I never would have got there. Gunnarola is an individual person, and great is a description of their work. Yes. Andrew, you can find him on YouTube. It's G-U-N-N-A-R-O-L-L-A. Not super easy to spell. Uh, And he makes music, but he also mostly does travel videos these days, and he works with travel companies making, like, beautiful beautiful videos about places that you can go to super pretty tripping tripping around the world yeah I mean, he makes music for his travel videos sometimes too and i guess thanks to the great gutarola here on this new year's eve special of dear hang and john for letting us use your theme music that you created for us for all these years it's beautiful and i love that recorder so much and I remember Me when too. we first launched it, people were like, I could have done better than that. And I'm like, I don't think you could have. I think it's perfect. Nope. It's perfect. <laughs> it's it's become the soundtrack of my life. This next question comes from Henry, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I'm a semi-competitive Magic the Gathering player. Oh, okay. I'm interested. Mm-hmm. Henry knows how to get a question answered. And as part of this, I often travel to events with people I'm friends or acquaintances with. The issue is that we split a hotel room and I snore. Should I pre-warn the party? Should I offer people earplugs? Do I sleep in the bathroom where it's slightly muffled? Do I spend more money than I should reasonably spend to get my own room? Henry. Uh, so I think, I don't know. Should you pre-warn? Should you let people know when they're signing up to be in the room with a snorer? I think you can pre-warn, but I don't think you're obligated to. Yeah. I I think a lot of people who snore exaggerate the extent to which they snore in their mind. Like it becomes a, 
thing that they are super self-conscious about. But then there are some people who snore really, really loudly. It's <laughs> so, true. Yeah. And, and when you're sleeping in the same room as one of those people, it, is, it, it can be a bit of a distraction. Although, I don't know. My grandfather was a big snorer, and I just, you know, you live with it. Yeah, I I uh, I've been on tour with with guys in uh, in bands, and uh, my my experience is that I have a hard time sleeping when there is a person snoring loudly. And uh, my my workaround is there's an app called Simply Noise that you can download, and then you turn on the the white noise, then you plug your headphones into your phone, and then you put your headphones into your ears with the noise mm-hmm. directly beamed into your brain, and the world could end, and you wouldn't know. Right. So that, that and in is... fact, it might have ended in the ten days between when we recorded this and when it was uploaded. Yeah. Well, in that Maybe case, this will be the last sound that the last human being hears, Hank. Oh gosh, John. I guess there will have to be one of those. Oh yeah, it's in Faulkner's Nobel Prize speech. It's one of the all-time great lines. Can I can I read it to you? Uh, I don't think I can stop you. It's like dad jokes and me. <laughs> It's true. Here's the line. It's easy enough to say that man is immortal simply because he will endure, that when the last ding-dong of doom has clanged and faded from the last worthless rock hanging tideless in the last red and dying evening, that even then there will still be one more sound, that of man's puny, inexhaustible voice still talking. Happy New Year! <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's the end of 2018 part. But here's the beginning of 2019 part. I okay. refuse to accept this. I believe that man will not merely endure, he will prevail. Okay, but, like, time is long, so eventually not. No, we're not just going to endure, we're going to prevail. Faulkner said so in 1950, drunk at a... <laughs> Nobel Prize banquet. <laughs> I mean, I guess you can do both. You can prevail and and also, um, you know, stop existing. Yeah, I am uh, going to disagree with that. Like, I, I think that um, <laughs> prevailing uh, is contingent upon in, in enduring. Huh. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a uh, it's it's a question of of uh, of scale. It's a question. It's a question of moments in time, like. There will be many moments in which we prevail, and only one in which we completely cease to exist. Right. That's a great point, Hank. I'd like that on my <laughs> tombstone. He prevailed, but did not endure. <laughs> yeah. All right. We, we've got to the happy part. There we are. <laughs> this question comes from Mora, who asks, Dear Hank and John, last night I was in line for the McDonald's drive through and these two kids came up to our car and asked if we could get them some food since the dining room was closed. They had money, so my mom said, yeah, and we got them their McChickens. But I was thinking, why are drive throughs only for people with cars? What would happen mm. if somebody opened a drive through for people on bikes or skateboards or on foot? I feel like this is a missed opportunity. I'm interested to hear your thoughts. The sun will come out tomorrow. Very good. Very, Very good. Very good, Mora. Very good. I've tried to walk through drive throughs before, and they won't let you. Yes, I've tried as well, and there, there, it seems to be a universal anti-walk-through drive through policy. Yeah, probably something to do with uh, standing in the middle of a road. <laughs> yeah, I, I suspect some of it has to do with liability issues. Some of it may have to do with, uh, you know, safety concern. I don't know. I, 
I don't know, but I like the solution that right. these people these came up with, which of. was to wait yeah. for somebody to drive up and be like, here's 10 bucks. Can you get me a number three? It's like very similar to how I acquired alcohol when I was a teenager. <laughs> yeah, except except like, I guess, perfectly legal. Like it's not like they're prevented by law from getting food at McDonald's. They just don't happen to have the correct metal covering. Right. Yeah. Which is a strange thing when you think about it. And like at what point, if you're doing a drive through, at what point? Do you say, like, I'm sorry, that's not an adequate vehicle to purchase food at McDonald's at this time? Like, is a motorcycle adequate? You you pull up on you pull up on what looks to be a bicycle, and they're like, "I'm sorry, I can't serve you on a bike." And then you're like, "Well, watch this," and then it turns out it's a moped. Uh, and then they're like, "Well, I guess so. Here's your nuggets, my man." Or one if or or like, what if you came up in a Segway? Like a Segway right? is sure. definitely not a car, but uh-huh. I mean, it has a motor and it's electric motor, but so is a Tesla's. Like, I'm yeah. driving through on my Segway. Right, right. So, or, or like you're you're standing there and they're like, "I'm sorry, we can't serve you." And then you just like you stand on a Roomba and you're like, "What about no?" <laughs> I don't control where this thing goes, but it's moving. But I think there are walk-up places to get food in, in cities, of course, like places where you walk up to a window and that's okay. Right, uh, but most people don't live in those cities, right? Like most people, if it's one o'clock yeah. in the morning, even in Indianapolis, if it's one o'clock in the morning, like you've got to go to Wendy's or, or Waffle House. Right. Yeah, I don't, I don't have a good solution for this. Uh, but I guess like the idea is that these restaurants are not really built for pedestrian traffic, which you may have noticed if you've ever been to a, a McDonald's and walked up to one. It's like, oh, I feel a little bit illicit almost. Like I have to walk over areas that maybe don't seem like areas I should be walking over. Yeah. There, there's something about the world in general that doesn't seem to have been adequately designed for pedestrians. Ah, yes. Well, it is. The car is king, John. Yeah. I was once walking down an alley and a car was coming down it and I uh and he drove very fast and the, like kind of like juked the truck toward me a little bit which was very unnerving and then he said you shouldn't walk where people are driving. Mm. <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, well. I mean, mostly you shouldn't drive where people are walking cuz that will get you in jail." Yeah. That's a bummer. But in other news, that guy seems like he's probably a really nice person. I'm sure that he's done lovely things. That's the thing about all all people who do bad things. They've also done nice things. Yeah. All right, Hank, this next question comes from Gina, who writes, Dear John and Hank, my name is Gina, and my sister, the best sister ever, is getting married in 2019. Well, congratulations on it almost being the year of your sister's marriage. More reasons that 2019 is going to be the best year ever. We've been as close as two sisters can get. We've been through the loss of a parent, a beloved dog, and many upon many bad boyfriends and broken hearts. She's entrusted me to be her maid of honor, which I'm both thrilled and overwhelmed by. I usually write well, and I'm good at making heartfelt gestures, but in this particular moment, I am speechless. For once in my Mm. loquacious, long-winded Gabby life, I have no words and practically drool at the thought of this maid of honor speech. So I come to you to suggest a poem for me to begin with at her wedding. I need something inspirational and something beautiful to get the ball rolling on this speech. Don't let me drool on myself at my sister's wedding. Too stressed to think about a name-specific sign-off, Gina. Man, John, I love this question because I have absolutely no responsibilities in it. 
It's up to you. This is oh, your. It's, it's, it's is... got to be that. It's got to be that Langston Hughes poem. Folks, birth in his heart and dying is mean. So get yourself some loving in between. <laughs> it's good. I like short. Uh, I like funny, and I like that she can say, "John Green told me to tell you this." There you go. It's great. This, this uh, these speech traditions are very hard. I we recently had our holiday party for our staff, um, and I for years have avoided the responsibility of giving a toast at this thing and just let people have their their times. But I felt like finally I was going to do it after somewhat being arm twisted into it. And I, I like, ro- I wrote a thing. I had to write it out. Like, it's just way too scary. And, uh, but I do find that once I start writing, if I can just keep my fingers moving, something good comes out. And just to not be uh, overly attached to anything and, and edit myself, you know? Yeah. John, do you remember when uh, you you wrote my like uh, rehearsal dinner speech thing? Yeah, I don't remember the speech I gave as your best man at all. Like the speech I gave at your wedding, but the speech I gave at, right. at the rehearsal dinner, which in the South, in our tradition, is the bigger deal speech. Um, uh-huh. I, yeah, I, you're, you were a big My Little Pony fan as a kid, and you as also were um, an obsessive hoarder of money, much of which <laughs> I stole. Because, yep. you know, I needed to pay for things because I was always out of money because I spent all of my money. And um, and you would hide all of your money in these, like, weird places. Like, you'd roll it up and hide it inside of your trophies or you'd, uh, you know, you put it everywhere. Inside of your Walkman, I remember there was, like, a rolled up $20 bill. And none of that slowed me down at all. I found all of it. Um, <laughs> and uh, so <laughs> at your speech, I, I gave you $1,001 bills as a way of paying you back the money I owed you, but in a way that would allow you to count it and save it and hoard it and really enjoy looking at all of it. Yeah, and also it was inside of a My Little My Little Pony lunchbox. Right, it was all in a My good. Little Pony lunchbox. I assume you still have that money. Um, I don't. I, it was actually really nice to have the thousand ones, though, because you don't have to go to the ATM as much. Um, so I would just like load up my wallet, and it lasted me for like two years, but then it was it was done. It ended. Well, I'm glad that I was able to fund your life for a couple of years. I, it doesn't surprise yeah. me at all to hear that $1,000 lasted <laughs> you two years of spending. <laughs> I spent other money. Um, but yeah, it was lovely. And and like the the gesture of a little bit of a prop was, you know, very appreciated and and, uh, and more than I did for you. I don't I, I don't remember what your speech at my rehearsal dinner was, but I do have a very vivid memory of my friend Levin's speech at the rehearsal dinner, because I don't know if you recall this, but Levin actually accidentally went to the wrong rehearsal dinner in Birmingham, Alabama, and he was at oh my the party God. for like an hour and a half before oh my God. he realized that it wasn't Sarah and Mai's party. And then the by then he had ingratiated himself. He's an incredibly charismatic person. He'd ingratiated himself so completely into that party that they were like, no, please stay. Come to the wedding tomorrow. <laughs> so he came but he, he came back to our rehearsal dinner and he and he told that story and oh my god, it killed. Yep. I was crying from laughter. That sounds real good. Mine was mostly about uh, how you write fictional books in which the main characters don't have siblings. No, yeah, that's 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 a good bit. That's a that's funny. That's a funny bit. Thanks. Um, 
Uh, you remember when at 110, Hank, we said, like, I hope nothing terrible happens in the next uh, 10 days? Oh, gosh. Yeah, I remember that. Uh, let me read you a headline from NPR that was just sent to me. Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg undergoes surgery for lung cancer. Oh, my God. But Justice Ginsburg oh, has no. had cancer two other times. In 1999, she had colorectal cancer. In 2009, she had pancreatic cancer. So... And during 25 years on the court, she has never missed a day of oral arguments. So we wish Justice Ginsburg good health and a very long life. This question comes from Lou, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I have a question about taste buds. Why do our tastes change as we age? I've just cooked and eaten wilted chicory with lemon dressing and a plain chicken breast, and I genuinely enjoyed it. I know this is a sign of middle age encroaching, but why does it happen? <laughs> Skip to the Lou. I know there's probably some science there. Yeah. But I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is either, but my tastes have changed so much throughout my adulthood. Yep. Like when I was 23 years old, I thought that nothing on earth tasted better than a pepperoni pizza hot pocket. <laughs> I mean, they're pretty good. No, they aren't. Uh, they aren't. I, I don't know if you've had one recently, but you want to talk about a food that doesn't hold up. I haven't pepperoni had one pizza recently. Hot pockets. Yeah, I haven't. I mean, I'd like to try the ham and cheese again. I'd also like to try the ham and oh. cheese pot pocket as a more patient person because I most of my experience <laughs> with, with, with ham and cheese hot pockets are this is good and I am in so much pain. I love yeah. this and well, it hurts so badly. Uh, but yeah, I've, well, I've, I think that I, burning the roof of your mouth is actually vital to the eating and enjoyment of a hot pocket of because otherwise you taste them. Um, I... I have found that things that I used to love, I find to be bland or uh, oversalted often, where I'm just like, yeah. really? That? You did that? That is, woof. Like, I feel that way yeah. often about hamburgers at fast food restaurants, where I'm just like, could we have maybe, you know, a, like a, like one less heaping teaspoon of salt on this would have been great. Yeah, I find myself, um, like, using hot sauce now, which is something that never entered yep, my... Yeah, me too mental landscape until about five years ago. Agreed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, 10 years ago, I actively avoided every kind of spicy food and now indulge and enjoy it. Um, and I think that that, to some extent, might just be like, the more you have it, the more you like it and the, the you know, more sensitivity you get to it. I, but I also feel this way about like stronger flavors where I just like, I uh, like vinegary things. I'm like, yes. I need I need a little bit more kick in order to enjoy it, and that and spiciness is is a big part of that for me. Which reminds me that today's podcast is brought to you by hot sauce in middle age. <laughs> hot sauce in middle age, it's the thing that makes it all worthwhile. This podcast is also brought to you by going through the drive-through on a Roomba. Going through the drive-through <laughs> on a Roomba, maybe that's gonna work, and maybe you're just gonna go in the complete wrong direction. You never know. Additionally, this podcast is brought to you by attending the wrong wedding. Attending the wrong wedding, <laughs> uh, you know, who knows how it could work out. And finally, this podcast is brought to you by animal diversity. Not actually a hundred percent sure what it is. Yeah, don't feel totally confident that I could even. <laughs> write like one sentence about a uh, class in animal diversity, yeah. let alone teach a semester worth of it. Yeah. Is it like diversity among species or is it diversity among ecosystems? I couldn't tell you. Right. Do not know. Is it, is it like, boy, are chimpanzees wildly different 
from moles? Yeah. Or is it like, or is it like this one monkey has a different or tail than another monkey, and you have good words for that? Yeah. Now I kind of want to take that class in animal diversity. I want to know all about it. I also kind of want a tail now. <laughs> in addition to wanting a tail, Hank wants you to go to PodCon. That's a great transition. <laughs> I should do this for a living. Uh, you can you can find out about PodCon. It's in January. It's January 19th and 20th. It's in Seattle, Washington. If you love podcasts, you love PodCon, go to PodCon.com. We're doing a live Dear Hank and John. John's doing a live Anthropocene Reviewed. I'm doing a live Delete This with Catherine. There will also be... Oh, Catherine's coming? Yeah, Catherine will be there. Oh, nice. I'm psyched to hang out with Catherine. Uh, my baby will also be there, so you'll get to see him. And Oh, uh, good. And yeah. There will and, and there are many, many legends of podcasting also attending. You can go to podcon.com to find out more. We also have digital attendance. So if you cannot get your human physical self to Seattle, you can purchase uh, digital attendance and get all of PodCon beamed into the podcast app of your choice. That is also a thing that's available. Podcon.com. Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius, because there will be a world without us. All right, Hank, before we get to the all-important news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon, mostly from Mars. <laughs> that's, sorry, I just glimpsed a darkness. That's what's going to happen in 2019. Hank, 2019 is going to be the year of AFC Wimbledon's stunning revival. All right. Uh, but first, we've got to get to this question from Clara, or possibly Clara, um, or possibly Clara. It'll become clear shortly. Dear John and Hank, first, I'd like to say thank you to John for all of his books. Well, you're welcome. Thank you for reading them. And thank you to Hank for all of his videos. Well, Hank also wrote a book, but it's all good. No worries. <laughs> Currently, I'm writing a book report for Looking for Alaska. I have so many things to say, as it was a book I thoroughly enjoyed, but I'm afraid I'll get a bad grade on it. If I can say to my teacher that John Green says that books belong to their readers, does that mean that the lessons I draw from the book are objectively right? Nothing rhymes with Clara, or possibly Clara or Clara. But thank you. Um, no. Yeah, I guess not. No. Like, if you conclude... I do believe that books belong to their readers. I don't believe that authors should have undue influence on the reading of the text of a book. Um, 
I don't think that they should like comment authoritatively on issues outside the text. I think that it's okay to talk about intent, but y- you can't talk about effect. Yeah. Um, that's just, that's my position. I might be wrong. I've been wrong before. Uh-huh. I used to think differently about this stuff. I am, I, I, I don't know. That's what I think at the moment. Uh-huh. Though. However, there are definitely incorrect readings of books. Right. Like if you think The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn is a novel about how great slavery is, you're wrong. Right. And somebody thinks that? Has somebody said that one? Uh, well, I mean, I don't know. That's just an example right. that seems really obvious to me. Right. That said, like, there are lots of readings of Looking for Alaska that are fine, and I think you'll be fine. And don't worry too much about what I think of it. I haven't read the book in 14 years. So the other thing I'd say, Claire, is that you have to defend your reading of the book through the text of the book. Like, that's what a book report is, ultimately. It's a response to the book that's a thoughtful response that uses examples from the text to back up your position. Mm-hmm. And as long as you do that, you should be fine. Yeah, you got to do the work. Uh, John, uh, is it time for the news from Mars or is it time from this this comment from Oliver? Uh, what, what's the comment from Oliver? It says, Dear Green Brothers, in a recent episode regarding the question of bathroom etiquette, you brought up the implied cone of silence that dictates social interaction in bathrooms. I'm transgender, and one of the many gifts that comes with transitioning is getting to experience the drastic differences in the atmosphere of the men's room versus the women's room. While the men's room is plagued by this cone of silence, the women's room is the complete opposite. In the women's room, the bathroom was a place to socialize and catch up with co-workers, whether at the mirrors or mid-business in the stalls. After transitioning, I learned that upon entering the men's room, you must cease to acknowledge the existence of other humans. No eye contact, no words spoken. It is as if you have entered a dreamscape in which you see shadows of your fellow humans, but you try to. But if you try to converse with them, you will be swallowed up by the nightmare dimension. Without the citrus zest, Oliver. That is exactly correct. Um, <laughs> in fact, I'd like to have that posted on the door to the bathroom it is as if you have entered a dreamscape in which you see shadows of your fellow humans but if you try to converse with them you will be swallowed up by the nightmare dimension all right well we've got figured out how john feels and oliver thank you for your perspective it's nice to hear from somebody who has who, who has been been through both hank i will tell you the news from afc wimbledon okay john tell me it Oh, we're so bad. (laughs) Ah, I mean, here's the thing. Our next game is against the Wickham Wanderers. You know who plays for them? Autobiolock and Fenwa. It seems that everywhere we go, it seems that everywhere we go, we meet with a former Wimbledon player. Yeah, yeah. Who knows how to score goals. And my question is, where... Where are the current Wimbledon players who know how to score goals? Maybe we'll find out this weekend. <laughs> yeah. All right. <sighs> so you haven't had a game. You haven't, haven't had a game since uh, since we last talked. We haven't had a game since we last talked. But we have heard that Quesiapaya is back in consideration, back from injury, uh, mm-hmm. in consideration for the game. I don't know. It's it's the truth is. We're last. We are last in the League One table. There are 24 teams, and we are 24th halfway through the season. And that is it. I've, I, I tried to have a, like a period of good Wimbledon news, but there is no good Wimbledon news. We're yeah. last. 
Your it's last. darkness. I feel That's... really bad for people who are going to the games every weekend. Oh, I mean, we lose. Well, we'll see. We've got a busy Christmas period, Hank. And if we win all those games, it will be a miracle. <laughs> it, will, it, it will be very good for the team. Indeed. What is the news from Mars this week? Uh, well, I mean, as as with you, the news from Mars this week is the news from Mars 10 days ago because we were recording early. Um, but we've got a very pretty picture of Mars taken by, I think, the European Space Agency uh, that is of a giant ice lake inside of a crater that is really great to look at. You've probably seen it on Twitter if you've been, you know, if you follow all the good Mars people like I do. Uh, and also the seismometer has been placed on Mars by the InSight lander. So that is there and ready to do its business. And also... Do we know yet? Have we had a Mars quake? Uh, I don't know that he's even collecting data yet. Uh, it's probably still, as of right now of the recording, it's probably still doing like testing and making sure that it all works properly. Can I so, ask you a related question? <clears throat> yes. Henry and I were debating recently, is it a Mars quake or is it an earthquake? Because Earth refers not only to the planet, but also to the like soil and like ground covering. Like, um, you know, like you like you dig in the earth. You're not talking about the planet. You're talking about like the the surface of the planet. That stuff on, on other planets isn't called Earth. What's it called? It's called Just regolith. Dirt? No way. Yeah. It's called what? Regolith. Rega what? I mean, regolith. I, yeah, regolith. It's it's a uh, R E G O L I T H. It is it's a It's the layer of unconsolidated rocky material covering bedrock. Yeah. And be, it is not I feel it, that like myself is ultimately a layer of unconsolidated rocky material covering bedrock. <laughs> Like, that's a pretty good description for how I feel on the inside. <laughs> oh, God. It's just, it's about, it's about how much mass you have collected to hold all that rocky material to you with your own gravity. Are Not you enough. A, are you a comet or are you a planet? What is it? Comet. <laughs> comet. <laughs> just trying to squeak by. Uh,. So yeah, so what, I mean, I don't like there, that is a that is a argument people have had, but but uh, I, th I think in science, it's generally we have come to the conclusion that we have moon quakes and Mars quakes and Venus quakes and and Mercury quakes. We don't have earthquakes on those other places, which is sure. Why not? I'm there. All right. Uh, I'm the into other, it. The other piece of news is that uh, the ExoMars Trace Gas Orbiter. There's been this like super long debate about methane on Mars. And if there is methane in Mars, which has been detected, and then they think maybe it wasn't there, and then it is there. Uh, and if there is methane in Mars, how would it be created? Lots of confusion about that. Uh, but the, the most recent piece of data is from the ExoMars Trace Gas Orbiter, which says no methane on Mars. And so we've got another d data point in the no methane camp. But we're going to keep listening and looking and sniffing because turns out, Maybe it goes in seasonal cycles, and maybe it's only in very particular areas. Maybe it's uh, so like like it seems like the the landers are getting different readings than the orbiters. So that continues to be an open debate, uh, and always looking for more information on Mars methane. Do we need methane on Mars? Would it, would that be good or bad? Uh, it would be neutral. It would be a 
data point that we would then have to explain. So if there is no methane in Mars, that's sort of like we understand how that could happen. If there is methane mm. in Mars, then it's like, how does how did this happen? Where did this come from? Was it created oh. by microbes or was it created by some geologic process? Or oh, was it created so like... the, if there's methane on Mars, it might be because the Martians are breathing. Right, yeah. Um... But it might also be because of other things. I'm going to hope it's because the Martians are breathing. And they have a better Facebook than we do. <laughs> please, please, Martians, come to us with your little microscopic single-celled Facebook. <laughs> we need it. <sighs> Hank, happy 2019. Thank you uh, for another great year of potting and brotherhood. And thanks to everybody for listening. This podcast is edited by Nicholas Jenkins. It's produced by Rosiana Hals-Rojas and Sheridan Gibson. Our head of community and communications is Victoria Bongiorno. You can email us at hankandjohn at gmail.com with your questions. Thank you, everyone who does that. The music you're hearing right now at the beginning of the episode is by the great Gunnarola. And as they say in our hometown, don't Don't forget forget to be awesome. awesome.